Hey folks, welcome to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Carlos, we are finally going to talk wings. In fact, we're going to start off with the wings here in a second. In particular, Tyler Vertuzzi, who uh, is returning to the team, who's been in a 10-day uh, quarantine, so to speak, uh, COVID protocol, as you might say, as uh, scientists like to say. And we'll discuss uh, what's going on with that. He reiterated that he he's still not going to get vaccinated. He believes in natural immunity, and we're going to get into all of that and the effect on the team and... I don't know, the, the last couple of losses they've had and, and all that good stuff. Then we're going to talk about Cade Cunningham and how Mr. Dave Bing, one of the great all-time Pistons, former mayor of Detroit, was on a broadcast last week during a Pistons-Nets game and, and more or less said Cade Cunningham, number one pick of the Pistons, is not, quote, that guy. And uh, that they needed a point guard, which is sort of funny because Cunningham kind of is the point guard. And we'll get into that. And then we're going to talk about cooking, Carls. You're going to talk about it, really. This is all you. The wings are all you. Mr. Bing's all you. If you want to throw the Lions in there at the end in the column you wrote and how it's still amazing that they're a one-win team and they lost 38-10 to 10 in Denver and you found the uh, the brightness in there. <laughs> We're gonna, it's, just, it's just going to be you talking basketball. Let's just be, let's be real, Sean. It's all just going to be basketball. Okay, okay. All right, so, so, that, so yeah, that's our show. We're going to try to move through this somewhat quickly, Carlos, but uh, mostly I just want to hear what you have to say. Uh, and let's start off with uh, Tyler Bertuzzi. What 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 do you think about what is going on? His return and uh, his effect on all this. Yeah, I mean he's he's definitely become I think among the the fans you know somewhat of a divisive player or issue even unto himself. He's the only unvaccinated player in the NHL, so um, they need him. You know he's by far well maybe not by far but clearly their best scorer, um, pure scorer. Uh, Lucas Raymond is looking good. Uh, Dylan Larkin's putting up points, but but you know his nose for the net, his natural instinct, his grit. Uh, Steve Eiserman, I'm sorry, Steve Eiserman, Jeff Blaschel, the coach talked about his uh, about what he brings to the team uh, before he played his uh, his game, his return back against the Islanders, and it's more than just he said you know it's more than just his scoring, it's the energy and and the way that you know he is a, kind of a presence. Um, and his, his teammates like him. So more Tyler Bertuzzi is a good thing. And frankly, the, the Wings are on the cusp of this comeback, right, of rebuilding. But they don't have enough talent. Um, their margin of error is so small, they can't overcome losing that kind of talent for significant stretches. So that's what's going to be problematic a little bit and especially possibly if there's going down the stretch making a playoff run and suddenly there's some games in Canada or there's a COVID issue or whatever you know they, they could be missing them at critical times so this is it, it's tough it's a tough issue that the wings are dealing with and I think it's frustrating for fans no doubt and speaking of I don't think they go back to Canada until late February I mean it's a while maybe even Montreal and then they have a western swing out in Canada Later in the season, maybe March, but again, that's the kind of that's that's the point you're talking about, right, Carlos? Right. I mean, if they're if they I mean, where are they right now? They're kind of on the cusp right now of a playoff spot, right? Right. They're just they're, outside the wild card. Yeah. Right. And it, before these previous two losses, their last two losses, which are their last two games, they were just inside the wild card, right, or, or right on the line. Right. So yeah, they take a Western swing. I don't know how many games that is off the top of my head, but three, or four games, right? I would imagine. Yeah. And. um and they don't have him. They are two and six without him, Carlos. And that's not to say they'd be, you know, six and two with him. I mean, they played some pretty good teams. 
Yeah. But uh, no, to your point, I. What do you what do you think about just his? I don't want to call it stubbornness. I mean that that's making a value judgment, and maybe even these days a political judgment. But what do you what do you think about him and his unwillingness to uh, to follow the science and to, and maybe more than that because you see this on social media in in terms of the frustration, him not thinking about the team. Yeah, I mean, he's been asked repeatedly about this, about, you know, why, you know, the science has proven that the vaccine is effective and that it's safe. And he just keeps saying it's a personal decision. Um, it's a lifestyle. It's a freedom. You know, it's a little bit of code speak, a little it's about freedom of choice, um, these kind of things. Uh, you know, I, I want to respect people's, you know, individuality. I want to respect, you know, that everybody is free to make a choice. You know, and, and, and you can argue all the whole thing about, you know, what's better for the for the population at large and everything. Um, but, you know, he is he is putting himself. I mean, there's just no way around it. He's putting himself ahead of the team because I'm sure there are teammates who would prefer not to be vaccinated. So, you know, they're they're biting the bullet and they're getting the vaccine. Um and he's the one holdout in the whole league who doesn't want to do it. And in a way, you kind of have to commend him for, you know, digging in and saying, I'm going to hold true to this, no matter how much hate uh, and negativity and all the stuff he's getting um, everywhere, you know, uh, social media and elsewhere. And I think there's probably a little bit, I'm guessing we haven't been in the dressing room, but I'm guessing there could be a little bit of discomfort there, you know, of like, hey, why isn't Bert vaccinated? Everybody else got it. You know, we, you know, we don't want it, but we have to get it. So it's, it speaks to a little bit of selfishness, but Hey, he's a person and people are, you know, you have that right. And he's not getting paid while he's not playing. So that's a difficulty, but I I, I just, you know, it's a distraction that this team doesn't need as it's finding its footing on its way back in this rebuild. No, for sure. And I mean, it's a fun team, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. And we've talked about this before. and, And I remember you and I talked about this at the beginning of the season when you decided not to get vaccinated before the season started it's yes you want you want to respect a person's right and i understand these notions they're very very powerful in our in, in our culture um right the, and the, the the idea of individualism versus you know the collectivism or what however you want to put it uh we yeah all societies struggle with where those lines meet and we probably err uh, americans probably err on the side of uh, individualism at least in our minds you know, and oh, yeah. and I understand, and, I, and I'm with you. It it is commendable, and that's in a, in a way, and that's what makes him, and probably in part, such a good. You know, you, Blashell uses the word grit to describe him, right? Well, it's, it comes from the same place, and and from it within inside him, mm-hmm. and that and that's fine. But I can't help but think, you know, it's also you want to say selfish, whatever. But it, I think it's a little misguided, right? When the overwhelming body of evidence is, that's out there, but also just beyond that, you know, you can make up any kind of example you want but uh let's do this one because i'm sure you enjoy this you you can walk around your house naked all you want right <laughs> society says it's okay to do that you're allowed to do that we we all agree you should be able to do that the minute you step outside the door right you're not it, it, with with no clothes on you're not uh just an you know an individual in a vacuum are you you're breaking a law and that law is there, is there for a reason, right? We've decided we don't want to go. And maybe we should be free to drive around in our cars and walk in and get a Snickers bar <laughs> in, a, in a nude. And, you know, maybe some thongs. You want to protect your feet on those dirty tile floors in those convenience stores. But uh, seriously, man, right? I mean, that's what we're talking about. It's, it's that idea. 
you know, I, I have to admit something to you, Sean, and I have walked around naked in our house with the blinds up and my wife has chastised me and I've told her, listen, if people want to look through the window, they're going to get what they get. So it's on you. If you, if you look into this house, uh, you know, be prepared. You're going to, you're going to have to suffer the consequences, but you're absolutely right. You oh step outside. my God, man, that is awesome. My, my respect <laughs> for you just, it was already up way up here, but it, it just went even higher. That's, that is awesome that you don't worry about the blinds and you're like, that's your responsibility out there. If you want to peer into my house. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's uh, but you're right. That's a really, I hate to give you credit, but that's a really good example of, you know, in your house, it's your business. You step, you open the door, you step outside, it's other people's business. Um, so it's, 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 it's rough. And, and, and as we know, this has all become a very sensitive political issue, really. Um, People take sides, um, and I all I know is when it comes down to it, and it, you know the, the thing I want to give them a little bit of credit or, or or understanding for you know toward Bertuzzi is just that he, you know we fans tend to sometimes look at players as just players, just these entities who just exist for their viewing pleasure and commodities, to root for right? commodities, and they're more than that; they're people, you know. And you and I, you know, not that you know, we're best friends with, with Tyler Bertuzzi or any of the players. Uh, you're probably best friends with most basketball players and coaches, but um, I don't know them at all, but, but, but we understand. I mean, I think we interact with them enough that we realize they're just people, you know, they're people, they're in a high profile business, but, um, but they're people and they're, they're subject to the same, you know, uh, thoughts, biases, uh, their own, you know, prejudices, their own research, their own, whatever it is. Um, background. So it's hard to sometimes reconcile both of what you're doing in a very public job or, or, or profession versus your own private um, instincts, I guess. And and if you, you know, if these guys really are scared of, of this being a, a health issue for them or a life issue or whatever, whatever things are worried about that they just don't feel convinced by, um, you know, that's, you have to kind of understand that or, or, or try to understand that a little bit. No, for sure. And it, and, and it's what, I don't want to say it separates us or divides us because it, uh, you know, those are words that, uh, are, sound permanent and harsh. And I, and I know we disagree on a lot of stuff as a society, but so much of where we butt up against each other is that idea of where my space, my body, my stuff stops and everybody else starts. I mean, it really gets down to that so much. And, and it's not that we're unique that way as Americans, but but it is part of our mythology. And that's really what we're butting up against when we talk about the word freedom, right? And again, not to get back to you walking around naked in the house, although that is a, that is a lovely image. You know, you want to go outside and, uh, and, and hey, I'm not going to wear underwear. But okay, fine, put your jeans on. You can go without underwear, you know what I mean? Might be a little rough, whatever. But I don't know. My stepfather was like that. He was a country guy country boy from South Carolina ended up uh, becoming an engineer and, and flew test was a test pilot with Chuck Yeager and flew fighters all over the place and a very grew orchids spoke Russian very worldly worldly person but when it got right down to it the way he grew up surrounded by very few people he had a very different idea of freedom right and what that means than than me and we here we were living in the same household and I'm sure that's true for a lot of people but I, you know, I don't know how exactly Tyler Bertuzzi grew up, but so much of that is uh, is how you know informs us and how we how we think and perceive, and it's emotional too, right, Carlos? It's not just 
You can't oh, just yeah. reason. You can't just use logic or reason or analogies like my piss poor analogy with the nakedness. It's <laughs> it's emotional. Your idea of who you are and what you represent and the choices you want to make. It's it's there's a, a lot of psychology in there. Oh yeah, it's emotional. It's personal. You know, and like I said, I mean, it, it, you, I don't think you can underplay, you know, some of these people think, I mean, it, it could literally be a life and death issue for them. Um, you know, and these are also young, you know, in Bertuzzi's case and the athletes cases, you know, they're, they're young people, young, young men. And, you know, they do have a lot of their life ahead of them. So if there are concerns about long-term side effects or whatever it might be that they've, you know, heard about or, or whatever, um, you know, that's, that's a real fear, you know, and, um, I get it, you know, it's, it, it may not really be founded in science, but there's something there. Um, and you can't, you know, fear is not really a logical, um, thing sometimes. So, um, you know, it, it, it's tough. I mean, it's tough for these guys. And, and I don't know if, I mean, every time he keeps getting asked about it, you know, he's, he's actually smart to stay away from giving, uh, a more specific answer of his, his exact detailed reasons of why he doesn't feel safe taking it. Um, it's, he just keeps saying it's a free, it's a personal choice. And, um, that's as far as you can really go. And it's, it's hard to argue that, right? It is. And when you're right, and it's when somebody's talking about freedom and a personal choice, and then you're throwing in fear there and comfort and all these things, I mean, how can you, when you say, okay, if, we, if you were to sit there and say, well, uh, Todd, you're playing. Obviously, you're giving up your salary. You're missing these games, but you, we can assume you don't want to give up your whole year's salary. And you, we can assume you want to play in front of fans, and and that's really fun. And the fact is, we can fill our arenas up because you know we got a certain percentage of society is vaccinated. We came out of the pandemic and got back to at least somewhat normal life here because of that vaccine. And um, but you can't. You, you, that's not an argument that's going to work, right? Because he's thinking internally. And we all do that. And we all have our things that we care about and that really matter. Sometimes we don't even understand them. They're just at a cellular level with us or they go back to childhood or whatever. And it's hard to, it's hard to use logic with that. So it's, it's a tough spot. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe down the road it's not going to matter as we, as we figure our way through this pandemic. But uh, in the time being, when he doesn't play, they really miss him. And, um, and we're going to see how that plays out later in the year. But uh, – I'm not sure why you had to bring his uncle Todd into it, but um, but yeah, Tyler. Should, oh, Tyler, uh, did I say Todd? I'm sorry. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, no, I yeah, no, yeah, I'm, I'm impressed I, that you know Todd Bertuzzi. Actually, that's that's very impressive. Well, you know, I've, and so many people are on, on social media, and again, that's not a great barometer. Always, it's it's the <laughs> noisiest part of the crowd sometimes. But uh, so a lot of people are just linking him to Todd, right? Who was had his own yeah. views on things, and yep. I, I don't know how fair that is. I, you know, t- Tyler's his own person, so I, you know, I don't want to dismiss him that way. I don't think that's fair with anybody, even though obviously we're influenced by others as we grow up. Every time, whenever I have to write, or whenever I write something about Bertuzzi, Tyler Bertuzzi, I have to tell myself, do not write Todd, because I always want to write Todd Bertuzzi. <laughs> No, when I start a column and put my byline on, I always have to say, "Okay, don't write Carlos Menares." I understand it's uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's one of those things. Nobody wants that. Nobody it, wants. Well, that. I don't think anybody wants my name, my my name up there anyway either. But God, all of a sudden, I I can't talk. Maybe maybe I could never, Carlos. Maybe that's it. So I think it's a good time for a break. How about that? Yeah, and we'll uh, we'll come back and get into uh, to Cade Cunningham and whether he's that guy and uh, and the words of. Uh, the legendary Dave Bing.
We'll be right back. Hey, it's Sean Windsor, and I'd like to tell you about the new sports app we've launched as part of our USA Today family. USA Today Sports Plus is the new sports app that puts fans first. Get the latest scores, stats, and standings, and enjoy interactive experiences with our award-winning sports writers, which obviously does not include me. Download USA Today Sports Plus from the Apple or Google Play stores today. USA Today Sports Plus. Fan harder. Hey, folks. Welcome back to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Carlos, uh, may I read you a quote from Mr. Dave Bing? Former mayor, Please do. F- former mayor of Detroit, longtime point guard for the Detroit Pistons, uh, deemed one of the greatest, I think, original 50 best players in the history of the NBA. Right? Knows a little bit of something about basketball? A little bit. Not I, as I, much as you, but yeah. No, I don't know. I don't, I don't know squat. So he was on the broadcast uh, with the Pistons and the Nets a few nights ago. The Brooklyn Nets, let's just say that for our producer, Tad Davis, uh, that's still, wait, does that still sound weird to you, Brooklyn Nets? That still yeah, kind of, kind of. And by the way, home to you know the best player in the league or one of the couple best you can argue, Kevin Durant. So that, hopefully that's helpful for Ted too. In in any case, so the Nets are in town, and Dave, Mr. Bing's on the podcast. Excuse me, the podcast. Why is it always the podcast? Carl? <laughs> he's on the broadcast <laughs> of the game, and he's talking to George Baja and Greg Kelser, and he's asked about Cade Cunningham. Or maybe Cunningham makes a play, and this is and this is what Mr. Bing has to say. I think he's starting to come into his own right now. We were worried about him early on in the terms of his shooting, but he's playing very, very well. So I think he's going to be an all-star caliber player. I don't think he's a guy you can build a team around. We still got to get that guy. We don't have it yet, in my opinion. I also think our weakness is in the backcourt. We got to get a good point guard. So what you think of that? <laughs> Oh, that's that's just brutal. He's not that guy. The number one overall pick that had who who was it? Who was was it? Troy Weaver jumping up and down when they when they picked him number one, or they got the number one pick in the lottery. Um, you know, I mean, I don't know if he was ever seen as the savior necessarily, but just there was so much excitement around him. Um, uh, you know, for I mean, I, hey man, when Dave Bing says something. You got to believe it. You know, I mean, I would never I would never question that Dave being, you know, I mean, he sounds like he's not even he's not being uh, um, obtuse at all. It's it's he's so definite. You know, he's not that guy, in my opinion. And that's that's something I, I so here's the question for you is it's not a guy you can build a team around. So so who is that guy? I mean, what what who needs to be? Is he, is he saying he still said he's an all-star caliber player, which is a very good player, an excellent player. But what is what is a team? What is a player you can build a team around look like? Who's he looking for? Well, I mean, in the in the most narrow sense, in the way we view the NBA right now, and maybe we uh, I, this is one of the problems of the NBA. We've talked about this. You're talking about four or five guys, right? I mean, LeBron, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry. James Harden before he moved to Brooklyn when he was in Houston. Um, Russell Westbrook a little bit. Nikola Jokic, the center for the Denver Nuggets. There are probably some others. Uh, Kawhi Leonard when he's healthy for your Los Angeles Clippers. Giannis. Uh, Giannis for sure won the title last year. I mean, what, what have I listed? Eight, nine guys. So maybe, maybe they're I mean, you know, the first and second team, all NBA guys, 10 guys, 12 guys. You can build playoff teams around. I mean, then you can start you know, nitpicking and saying, well, is he the kind of guy that's uh, you build around for a title team? Because that's a little different mm-hmm. than a than a Western Conference or Eastern Conference semifinal team. 
But I, I just, Carlos, and I'm going to try to dig into this in a column for um, uh, a little bit later in the week. Just, just this idea of in basketball, and we, and maybe this is true in, in football too to some degree, but Cade Cunningham is not athletic in the way that a lot of other players in the NBA are athletic, right? He's athletic to us, relative to us for sure. But he, he, he you know, he doesn't have a 45-inch vertical. He's not lightning quick. Um the way he plays at his own pace, he doesn't get sped up. He sounds like he's forty. It's not that he have an old. It's not that he has an old man's game. He doesn't because he he's got slick little crossover moves and and uh, he's got a, a nice a nice handle and can change direction. So in fact, he had he almost made Kevin Durant fall down with a misdirection the other night. That ended up in a a layup. It was a great move. But I think when you don't see some of that. You know, sometimes I wonder if the fact that he's light-skinned works against him because in the basketball culture and the NBA culture, I mean, it works against Steph Curry. I was, I think I told you this, right, Carlos? I was at, at a game last week, a Pistons game last week, and I was um, at a round table with a lot of the, the, the local basketball writers, and we got into a discussion about who was the last great white player, right, in, in the NBA, and I was the only white guy at the table for a minute, and... Um, and it, and it was really interesting. And a couple of people started joking, well, Steph Curry, right? And Clay Thompson. And somebody said Grant Hill. And they were all light-skinned, light-skinned black players. And I thought about that with Cunningham, his combination of lack of elite, elite athleticism relative to the LeBrons of the world, and then his light-skinnedness because there's associations. Right? You're not quite as tough. You're not as gritty. You're not, you know. I saw this with, with some of my own teams and, and the way people would stereotype. But... So I don't know. I don't know that Dave Bing's thinking that, but I'm just kind of tossing it out there, Carlos. I'm tossing it back because I'm not touching that one. But uh, yeah, that's I mean, I think that he doesn't. You're right. He, he I mean, you're kind of describing him as Uncle Drew, you know, the old guy kind of, you know, the high dribble or whatever and can't move very fast. But um, but you're right. He's not the he's not the the. The prototype, I guess, for um, for what you expect as this dominant, you know, force that's coming out, and he's going to take over a game. He's going to be physically dominant. Um, I don't know if that's what what Bing's getting at, but but what is it? What it, besides Dave Bing never being invited again to speak on the Bally Sports Detroit yeah, broadcast? Right. What is you? What do you think happens? I mean, you have this guy on, and you know, this legendary figure in Detroit, and he poops all over the number one in his rookie season. Um, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, is it? Well, how do you, how you do know, you come far, back from that? I saw some of the reaction on on social media, and, and a couple of people made comments. Well, he's eighty, right? And you you don't want to be ageist. <laughs> You don't want to be ageist. I do think there's a disconnect in basketball between some of the... I remember when Oscar Robertson was talking about how Steph Curry wouldn't be able to be Steph Curry in his era, which is just outrageous considering how much slower and, and less less conditioned athletes uh, players were back then, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, I mean, Curry pulling up from 35 feet, it's just... He, he had a... And I don't want to go down this rabbit hole. I'm sorry, but... Uh, this, well, there was no three-point line back then, so he couldn't this, have been this, really... This dude, Curry, a couple of nights ago against... Um, uh, Golden State uh, against Indiana at the end of the in, end of a tight game hits a shot over a six foot eleven guy where he gets him on his heels and he and he takes a half a step back behind the three point line and let and and changes the parabola on it the arc on it and shoots it up higher and lets it go so quickly it's ridiculous and we take it for granted Cunningham's move at six 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 seven whatever I mean I think somewhere disappointed he's not actually six eight on Durant the other night and by the way he had twenty six points against the Nets. Um, and has has played like that a lot for the last three weeks or so, maybe even four weeks. 
he had a move on Durant the other night that how with the ball skill and the, and well, the way he gets to the rim, plus the way he's shooting, but that move, you're like, you see that move, and he's got he's had a lot of other moments like that in the last month. To say he's not that guy already, I don't know. I think also being uh, Dave being hurt himself in that comment by saying that they needed a point guard when Cunningham is the point guard. He runs the whole team. In fact, Jeremy Grant going down, and that's it's it's uh, you know you don't ever want to see a player get hurt. He tore or tore a ligament, I think he tore a ligament uh, uh, in his thumb, and he's going to be out you know six weeks or so. And um, and he's kind of an ISO player. The ball stops with him a little bit. He's a really good signing, good player. But him being out now is going to put the ball in Cunningham's hands even more. And it's also going to be more shots for some of the younger guys. That's a different to- topic and conversation. But but to say he's not that guy, and then to say the Pistons need a, a point guard when Cunningham's the point guard, it just I think he kind of undermined himself with that part of it. By the way, Carlos, please, why won't you get into this idea of how we think of basketball players? What do you mean you're not going to touch that? This is a topic you and I have talked about. You 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 talk about this with me in your own community. Yeah, it's 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 a dicey. I mean, I wasn't in your in your Algonquin Algonquin roundtable with all the the basketball cognoscenti, so I don't know exactly what you were saying, but um, just the idea that we make assumptions based on the shades of skin color, right? I mean, and and Curry's talked to Andre Iguodala, who's a who plays for the Warriors a long time, you know, long time small forward has talked about that a lot publicly about the respect, the lack of respect some of the light skin players in the league get if they're really good, right? You know. And well, that's that's possible, but I don't know if it's fair to assume or you know project that possibly Bing was you know. No, I don't. No, no, no. That. I don't think. I don't think. I don't think Bing was implying that. I just think. I think sometimes there's a subconscious. You know, we, you're right. I don't. I don't. I'm not. I don't want to say that he was implying that. I just. I think some of the overall chatter about Cunningham. Sometimes I, I wonder if that plays into it. Like you, you think somebody's limited. You put a cap on where they can go and what they can be. Maybe not Ding Bing per se, because of that, right? You know, the, you get doubted because people associate certain characteristics within the NBA, within within basketball in general. Yeah, I think that. I mean, I think Kate is definitely. You know, he's. To me, I mean, not that I'm, you know, checking Twitter or the pulse of Twitter every every minute or anything, but I thought he's been pretty well received and respected by the fan base, especially as he's come back from his injury and he's he's hitting a stride on, you know, with his shot and scoring. And yeah, the 12 straight losses definitely look bad, but, you know, he can't control all that himself. So that's been that's been pretty rough. But I don't know if I don't know if uh, that that's where I will really wonder what what being meant because I'm not sure the kind of player that he is expecting him to be. Um, you know, so is he is he is he the the typical field you know floor general that you want in a in a classic point guard? I don't know if that's what he's looking for. Um, maybe he needs to swing more. Can he be the two guard more? Can he play that more? You know, um, I don't know, but. But uh, yeah, I think I think Cade is a player that almost uh, almost any team would like to have on on their squad. So whether he's going to be the guy who leads you to a championship, but but we've talked about this before in the work the going to work crew. You know, there was no great one dominant player on that team. I mean, Ben Wallace was very good um, and great as it turned out, but n- nobody knew that at first when he when he became a Piston that that was going to be you know who he was. That 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 group worked well collectively so you don't have to have 
all these, you know, LeBrons and, and Steph Curry's, I don't know, that at least to be a very good team, maybe not a dynasty, but a good team with potential to win a conference title and to get to the NBA Finals, you know, I certainly, I I don't think, I mean, my limited knowledge of basketball and having seen Cade Cunningham for a few games, I think he's good enough to help you get there. No, I do too. I guess my main point is not that I want to sit here and, and, and bang on uh, on Mr. Bing. It's just what he said is part of a larger issue we have with wanting to make proclamations, declarations, and say, okay, this is what this person is going to be, right? He's played a couple of months. Yeah. And I think it's too soon. And I, and I respect that he gave an opinion, and, and in that setting, right, obviously. Kudos to him for doing that. He said what he believed, and that's great. But uh, the idea that we we know what he's going to be, I mean, I, I think he's kind of a, got a chance to be something a little bit different and in, in some ways something that we haven't quite seen or maybe parts of new things. I mean, the, the game evolves and he's uh, he's part of the, the, the evolution of big playmaking, highly skilled, good shooting sort of wing guys that can operate as point guards. And that's just kind of where the league is. And um, and we'll see ultimately how good he becomes. But uh, but I think it's way too soon. So, Carlos, do you mind if we take another break and um, and come back and talk about your food and your cooking? Oh, I can't wait. Okay. All right. We'll be right back in a sec. Hello. I'm Phil Friend, the host and producer of Spartan Speak, a podcast collaboration between the Detroit Free Press and Lansing State Journal focusing on Michigan State sports. Each week, I'm joined by the OGs of the MSU podcasting game, Freak beat writer Chris Lowry and LSJ sports columnist Graham Couch as we discuss and dissect the latest sports news coming out of East Lansing. Not only is Spartan Speak one of, if not the longest running MSU sports podcast out there, you won't find a show with two people as clued into the Spartans as Chris and Graham, each of whom have spent a decade plus covering MSU and bring years of institutional knowledge and insight to the podcast. And once in a while, they'll let me throw out a take as well. Along with discussing the latest news, we'll break down the Spartans' last game on the hardwood and the gridiron. What went right? What went wrong? Jet sweep. Again? For both Mel Tucker and Tom Izzo, get you ready for the next game, make predictions, and so much more. We can also guarantee at least one reference to Kalamazoo every podcast. So if you haven't already, download, subscribe, and listen to Spartans Speak on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or on your podcast app of choice. Hey, folks, welcome back to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Uh, Carlos wants to talk about cooking, and he wants to talk about a, a food editor, I think, from Charleston or from somewhere in South Carolina. But mostly you want to talk about <laughs> cooking. No, take it away, man. You, you got some thoughts. You've been texting me about it all week. <laughs> I'm excited, Sean. This is, this, is, this is the topic I've been waiting for. Um, you, were, you were keeping me in the dark, as usual, not coming – you know, forth with with the truth about yourself, a secret in your past. Uh, I wouldn't call it a skeleton in your closet, but but we were talking about food uh, recently, and we both love food. We both like to cook. Um, and you mentioned that you are a distant relation to a fellow named Brian Roof, who's a, a test chef um, and editor for America's Test Kitchen, Cooks Illustrated. It's a show on PBS. It's a magazine. It's been around for a while. Excellent, excellent. And I have to admit here, I'm a fanboy, and I love Brian Roof. I love how he just has this great demeanor. They have a lot of great talent on that show. And when you told me that, it was kind of like 
someone telling me they were like friends or relatives with like Dave Grohl or someone like that. Like, holy cow, you know this person. So I was very excited to think that possibly one day if Brian Roof is ever in the Detroit area, you will invite me to your house or to a restaurant and I can meet him and we can talk. Of course you won't. You'll completely forget. You'll you'll invite Matt Charbonneau and I'll never you'll all be an afterthought. So I understand that, but I was excited. Brian Roof, tell us how you are close to him and how you're going to make this meeting happen. No, no, us. no. I, you misheard me. I'm not close to him. I've never met him. Oh, now I, you're backtracking. So now that's already starting. Okay, great. No, Thanks. I've never met him. I he friended me on Facebook. Um and I'd show you, but this is a podcast, and it's not a visual. Uh, it's it's not a visual medium. Um, no, I I've just I learned about him in around. Well, here, here's the thing. He's he's sort of related to me. How about that? Yes. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. My my uncle, my step uncle Phil Roof, who grew up in uh, in South Carolina and who lives in Columbia, South Carolina. Actually, Irmo. I think he still lives in Irmo. Um, was, you know, I like to cook and we had these family reunions we, for six or seven years um, on my, let's see, it's my stepfather's family. So my uncle Phil is my stepfather's uh, brother-in-law. It, so that's, a, so he was married to my, my, my aunt Judy. So my stepfather's sister. So that's kind of how that works. So anyway, we started having these gatherings six, seven years ago and a couple of gatherings in, I offered to cook one time. I made breakfast for everybody. We were all in Asheville. We moved it around the south. Nice. And I made breakfast for everybody. And then the next, you know, the, the text thread start, and people are talking about the breakfast, and they ask if I'll cook again. And so that's kind of how it started. And then we would start making dinners. And uh, a couple of years ago, I cooked. And then this past year down in Florida, I made d- dinner of, you know, 25 people or whatever. Couple wow. of nights in a row, I cook out. You know, we we cook wherever we are. We try to use stuff from there. But, but Phil, my uncle Phil, knowing how much I like to cook, said, "Well, I have a nephew who works at Cooks, who works for Cooks Illustrated." And so that's how it came up. And he he wanted to he wanted to tell Brian about me because I am a writer, and I know you can't see my air quotes on the podcast here. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so that's that's what happened. And the next thing I know, you know, he's friending me on Facebook, and it was just sort of a mutual respect, probably more for me f- than for him to me. But uh, but that's really the extent of it. And hopefully, I will meet him one day. And if he is ever up this way, I will absolutely have you over when he's here. But but did you know who he was beforehand or no? I knew uh, a little bit. Yeah, I hadn't. And it's funny because I hadn't put roof together, and it's okay. I've, gr- I've been around the roof since the seventies. Yeah. You know, but I just never, well, obviously, well, he was not working for Cook's Illustrated when he was, you know, not even born in the, <laughs> in the late, in the late seventies. But, uh, no, I, I did kind of, I, I knew I was more familiar with, um, oh, who was the lead guy? He broke off from Cook's Illustrated a couple of years ago and started his own. Oh, yes. Uh, uh, Christopher, Christ- um, yeah, yes. Kimball. Kimball. Yeah. Started his own, uh show youtube channel whatever he's got you know cookbook milk street milk street that's it that's it yeah he was the one that i and and then there was another gal i can't remember but in any case yeah no that's a cooks illustrated is great i just let me just say this carlos because they take a lot of interesting dishes from all over the world and they try to put them and they try to figure out how that you can make them as a home cook without going too crazy in your pantry without having to go and find too many ingredients that aren't accessible in the community you live in 
or uh, or anything like that. So you can figure out how to make delicious food, tap into other cultures, even into the history of this culture, uh, American culture, whatever that culture is, and do it in a somewhat affordable way that still tastes delicious. They do. They, you know, years ago, my sister introduced me to Cook's Illustrated, the magazine. And if you ever saw it back when we had bookstores, um, it looks at the most fancy, you know, cooking book you or a cooking magazine you could see. It was really I never even looked at it because I thought, oh, this is for like a professional level chef, you know, and it's not. You're right. They really make it accessible for anybody you know, you need to know a little bit about how to do things, but they do product reviews. And one of my big disappointments, Sean, was right before the pandemic started, um, they were doing a traveling show, Cooks Illustrated and America's Test Kitchen. And they were traveling around to different cities. And they were going to come to Cranbrook. And it was uh, Bridget Lancaster and her the other co-host, uh, Julia Collins, I believe it is. Um, they were going to do a cooking demonstration. And I had just found out about it. I missed out on getting tickets. They sold out really fast. So I was really mad. I was really bummed. But then when the pandemic happened, it got canceled anyway. So I was kind of, that was the only bright spot of the pandemic was that I didn't, I didn't feel cheated out of watching them uh, do this uh, demonstration at, at uh, Cranbrook. So, um, but I definitely would have gone. I would have been, I would have been excited to go there and watch them and hear them talk. And, and they seem to have fun and, um, and I'd, I'd always just like to, I'd like to meet somebody to see what, what is that experience like, um, you know, with that whole show and putting things together and they go through so many, w- one quick example is they go through so many extremes of testing recipes that Brian, one of his, the one I remember best of his recipes is he did brisket. He found out, he went down to Texas, I believe, and looked at their recipes, one of their famous, you know, smokehouses down there. And they changed it so that the home cook can make it. And the secret was you get a charcoal grill and you lay down 58 briquettes in two rows, which is what, 116 briquettes. You make a snake coil out of it so that there's an even heat that cooks the bri- the uh, the brisket. And you put six cups of water in there and it, you, it brings it to a small, a slow, uh, even temperature for hours and hours and hours. And I think it was even um, the co-host who was uh, Bridget, who was um, or Julia, who was amazed by the detail that they went into to just come up with this recipe so that you could make it. Because you know, it brisket is super hard to make, and that's why you have places who spe- that specialize in it. So it was just so cool. And, and Brian has fun on the show. He's got a good sense of humor. Um, so it, it was really cool. And I'm, I'm excited, Sean, that one day I hope, fingers crossed, can't see it, but fingers crossed. I will be invited to the to the Windsor Roof uh, gathering one day. Well, I, yeah, I look forward. I'm hoping I can can meet him myself at some point. Uh, that would that would that would be really fun. I mean, obviously, he's a heck of a lot more accomplished than I am. I think that goes without saying, right? So, no. I, I, the last thing I'll say about Cook's Illustrated, and, and this is true of, of of anything in general, as you know, but one of the great things about what they try to do is is the way they not not just how they try to make it affordable and accessible and all that. That's great. But they, they write the process out. They tell you what they went through to try to, to, to how they got to this recipe yep. and why it works and what didn't work and all the different failures that they had. They list it all out and they, and they explain yeah. it all out. And I just, I love that. And uh, we could probably use more of that in, in anything we do, you know? Oh, yeah. And, and I yeah. just, yeah, to me, that's, that's one of the reasons that uh, that, that place and that magazine and, the, and that show are special. So, Carlos. Um, Sorry to disappoint you. I don't know him yet. 
uh, <laughs> other than Facebook and uh, hearing stories about through my extend, extended family. But I do have a favorite thing. Oh, okay. Well, would... let me let me ask you one quick question is you love to like whenever you go travel to cover assignments, you're willing to drive 15, 16 hours from your wherever you're you're covering the assignments. Yeah, so not so much, couldn't not so you much go anymore. from couldn't you go from Miami to Columbia, South Carolina? Isn't that within the, the radius of how far you want to I, travel? I don't think so. I mean, I'm not even sure I'm going to go from, and I think, by the way, we'll be in Fort Lauderdale. Oh, okay. Uh, I don't even know if I'm going to go from Fort Lauderdale to Miami. That's how lame I've become. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, maybe I can sneak up into West Palm Beach. and uh, With your people, yeah. Yeah, you know, and see if I can get a 5 o'clock. Mar-a-Lago? You're staying, you're staying at Mar-a-Lago. Just yeah. Let's, let's be honest, right? Yeah. Yeah. The presidential suite. I think I'm going to be at an airport hotel in Fort Lauderdale for the Orange Bowl, of course. Michigan, Michigan, Georgia, Orange Bowl. We'll talk about that. Uh, it's St- Stick around Mar-a-Lago for January 6th. See what happens down there. Oh, that'd be nice. Yeah, that, that, yeah. that sounds like a great idea. It could be idea. interesting. It's good it problem. could be. It could be. By the way, can I uh, can I tell you my favorite thing first? Or yes, please. Are we, please. Are we breaking protocol there? You usually steal mine, so go ahead. I'd love to hear yours first. I do. Well, because I, I don't have any original ideas of my own. <laughs> I never, I never have, including this podcast. This wasn't my idea. This was yours. That's why your name it was, was first. It was Tad's. It was. Tad's. Plus, you're smarter and better looking and funnier. So, of course, your name should be first. <laughs> I think um, I, I mentioned it at the top of the show, but I, but I, I loved. I really, really loved your column uh, about the Lions uh, on Monday. I want to say it dropped Monday after the Lions lost thirty-eight to ten on Sunday in uh, in Denver, because you took um, again. Here we are. What are they? Uh, tw- thirteen games in. Twelve. They're thirteen games in. Right after Sunday, they mm-hmm. have four four games left. If my math is right, so that would make them what one eleven and one. So here you have a team that's one eleven and one. That loses by 28 points. They had been struggling through COVID and flu and injuries. And even when they're healthy, they're not more than a 2-3 win team probably. Maybe a 4-win team with a little bit of luck and some better uh, field goals, field goal luck. So, so you've got all this, Carlos, and yet you found a way to say, you know what, there, there's still stuff to play for. It's true. Not every team shows this kind of fight. Don't take that for granted. Right, I don't know if you said "don't take for that for granted," but that's that's more or less what you were implying. That was your argument, and um, that there is something worth uh, admiring here. You're not saying Dan Campbell is going to take this team or franchise to a Super Bowl. You're not saying Brad Hall any of that, but you're saying in this moment, in these circumstances, it's really tough, and there are plenty of people that check out not because they're not professionals, because it's human nature and it's really hard. And uh, and I really like that column. And I thought it was kind of fun that we had somewhat similar columns. I had a somewhat similar idea off the game Sunday. And um, I'm not sure where this Zen appreciation of life is coming from you. <laughs> I, I, I haven't quite figured it out, but, uh, but I'll take it, man. It was, uh, it was a beautiful thing. So you're really saying that you like that I kind of ripped off your column and my column was like yours. That's why you no, like it. No, I, I assume you didn't read my column. So how could you rip it off? Oh, no, no. Oh, of course I read it. Come on. There's hope. There's hope there. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, no, I just wanted to, I, I just said, hey, I'm not going to keep banging on him. So I assume you had the same idea. Like, let's write something that's a little bit different. Yeah, and there is there is something that you have to appreciate about this team. And I think the th- it's really weird. I don't know if you've sensed this, but there really seems to be this anti-Dan Campbell movement. Um, I'm not quite sure. And it, and it, it, it seems to go back. 
I, I, it, it possibly seems to trace back to Jim Caldwell, you know, and there's a certain part of the fan base that's still upset that he was fired after winning nine games. And you went through the Matt Patricia era that was a disaster. And then now you're having Campbell and there's one win and one tie. And I, I don't know. I, I feel like there's this, you know, uh, buyer's remorse that how do we let this guy go? Jim Caldwell would have already had us back. In the, I don't know if that's if that's everything, but I just I just feel there's been this this pushback against Campbell. And, and it's hard to see what he's doing with this team because, yes, it's hard to see a team win one game all season so far. Um, and they got handled in Denver for sure. But, um, you know, I think it's it's I understand it from one perspective from the fan base, but on the other side of it, you and I are the kind of people who need to tell the fans that there's more to this than just what you're seeing on the field on Sunday. It's going to be a process and it may not be as fast as you'd like it to be right now, but it's a process. Yeah. And it, and I understand why people want to write that off because ultimately it's just about winning and losing and people think Campbell's in over his head. And no matter how many times Dave Burkett tweets out that, the folks that study the metrics of when to go for it on fourth down, the Campbell, the Campbell's actually per math, per the per the math, one of the better decision makers in the game. You know, so it's sort of interesting. But uh, but yeah, no, it only comes down to winning and losing. And and you know, you write something like that, and people think you're an apologist or work for the work for the team. I heard from all sorts of people the last few days who think I'm just a shill, and that's fine. That's their opinion, and and that's cool. But uh, that's not so how you got, I see, so you I got see my it. email then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just not how I see it. I mean, I've been around sports. I've coached sports on some level. Uh, I've played sports. You know, I, I understand how easy it is to to give in in, in a way, right? It, it just is. And and they're not. And um, does that mean anything down the road? It may mean nothing, right, Carlos? It may mean nothing. It may. You're it may s- not. And I didn't say it was going to mean everything. But uh, I'm just trying to point that out. All right, what's your favorite thing? Because that was way too long for me. That was way too long. So, um, yeah, that's... I liked it though, um, especially since since it was about me. But so my my favorite thing, Sean, I have to go back. Which to, is also going to be about you, so you can talk. Gonna, about it. Gonna be, I let me start with I. I think my favorite thing is I have to go back to you have to go back and you have to imagine a uh, little ten year old Carlos. Is there a point to this? I, there is. I'm getting to it. <laughs> okay, I'm kidding. Imagine, I'm kidding, imagine, sort of. imagine late 1970s, early 1980s. Young ten-year-old Carlos, right? A little, uh, a young boy, you know, coming coming to manhood, and um, you know, there was a show called Facts of Life back then. It was a very popular. Sitcom. I know where you're going with this. Yeah, and um, so one of my one of my early crushes, uh, TV crushes, was a character named Blair Warner, and she's played by an actress named Lisa Welchel. Um, very. It was about a boarding school or something. I don't even remember. I think I watched it with a sound off most of the times. But anyway, so it was Lisa Welchel. She was this very pretty girl, high school girl. I'm a, you know, I'm 10 year old little punk boy, but, but she just seemed like very, um, you know, worldly and, and, uh, you know, cool and everything. And she was kind of a preppy girl. Um, but she was one of my first TV crushes, right? And, a week ago, they did this um, relaunch that ABC has been doing on some of the classic sitcoms, and they did The Facts of Life with a whole new cast. Like It's like, you know, stars, current day stars like Jennifer Aniston and different people like that. Um, but Lisa Welchel comes out to begin the show, and she sings the theme song. And Sean, she's 58 years old, and she probably could have passed for late 30s it 
was stunning how little she had changed since back then. I mean, she just, people just, it was like the thing that like lit Twitter on fire that night. It was funny, the comments that people were saying, did someone stick uh, Lisa Welch on a vat of olive oil for 40 years or something like that? And um, she just looked amazing. Um, and, and, and aging is a normal process and part of life, right? We all go through it. Um, you probably look the same as you did in 1965 or whenever, but, yeah, um, yeah. but, but everybody goes through it. Right. But she just looked untouched by, by age, by time. It was crazy, um, how that happened. So, so I just didn't know, um, uh, I, I couldn't figure it out, I couldn't get my head, my, my head wrapped around it. And it was, um, it was just one of those cool things that a surprising thing of, you know, seeing somebody, that you that you used to remember fondly and how they haven't changed much and maybe it gives us all a little bit of hope that you know if we if we live right and we we eat well maybe maybe we'll kind of be like Lisa Welch one day and and that and maybe slow down the aging process just a little bit well that's cool I, yeah I read about the re- reunion show I haven't seen any of it uh, Jimmy Kimmel maybe yes. produced it yep and they had all, all some of the former stars and it was two two TV shows they were doing right. They did Different Strokes, which is actually the funnier show that they did with Kevin Hart playing Arnold Jackson. And oh, by the way, yes. one, one quick little thing on that was Lorm, Norman Lear, you know, the great, you know, sitcom writer. And he um, he was a producer and sitcom writer. And he's like 99. And he was there and still able to stand up and talk and funny. And Jimmy Kimmel introduced him and he said, by the way, he flew 52 combat missions in World War II. And, uh, you know, he's written all these, you know, works, works of, art, you, know, you know, sitcoms and, and he's a philanthropist. And I was like, man, this guy's life, like you, if you think you've ever accomplished anything like this, what this guy must have seen in his life. He's, he's not only, you know, fought in World War II, but he's made countless millions of people laugh over the years, you know, with his sitcoms. It was, it was really cool to see that. That is cool, and yeah, it was a very nostalgic thing to do, and it was fun, and uh, that's a nice that's a nice favorite thing. But uh, I don't know if this is nice or not, Carlos. But we're out of time. I think we've uh, we've asked of enough patience, right? We we've been the year enough of these 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 fine folks that uh, spend a little time with us. So it's probably time to give them a break, let them go recuperate, you know, mull over the deep deep thoughts that they've heard here. The life-changing uh, information. <laughs> see what they can do with that. You know what I mean? And uh, and and then you know, give them a breather, and they'll come back next week. How about that? Are you that? talking about Tad? Are you? Or yeah. Just, or the audience? Uh, okay. I, I am talking about Tad. So Tad cries again, himself to sleep every night when he has to think about editing <laughs> a stupid podcast. <laughs> oh, I don't. I don't blame him at all. Well, listen, Carlos. That was a that was a fun. A pleasure as always. Um, we want to thank Tad Davis, as you just mentioned, our our, our main man, our producer. And uh, the guy who makes this all possible. We want to thank Anjanette Delgado and Kirkland Crawford, our executive producers, and of course, the executive editor of the Free Press, uh, Peter Batia. If you like the show or listen to the show, and hopefully more than a couple of you do, I mean, other than Carlos and, and Tad and Tad's father, uh, you can find us wherever you find your favorite podcast Spotify, Apple Podcasts. And once you get there, uh, take a minute and rate us. Subscribe also if you'd like to do that. We will uh, see you next week. 